In less than two and a half months, 73 days to be exact, OU will kick off its season against Florida Atlantic. We still have a ways to go, but the best time of the year is always worth the wait. In less than six months, 171 days to be exact, the Heisman Trophy will be awarded in New York. Here in Sooner Nation, we've been uniquely interested in the Heisman for the past two years. Baker Mayfield and D.D. Westbrook made the trip to the Big Apple in 2016. And of course, Mayfield won the Stiff Arm Trophy a season ago. There's no telling who will be finalists for the award in 2018. It is June after all. But thanks to betting odds, we have an early idea of who may be sitting in New York come December. According to Bavada, Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor is the Heisman favorite. Taylor is plus 750 to win the honor. What that means is if you were to place a $100 bet on Jonathan Taylor to win the Heisman and Taylor does win, you would then win 750 bucks. Behind Taylor is another running back, Stanford's Bryce Love, who was a Heisman finalist along with Mayfield and Lamar Jackson last year. Love's odds slightly worse than Taylor's, plus 800. Now, I'm not an expert on preseason Heisman Trophy odds, but I bet it's been a while since the top two favorites to win the award in June were running backs. The Heisman, of course, has morphed into a quarterback award, which makes sense considering the quarterback is the most important position on the field and the most important position in sports. Dating back to 2000, 15 quarterbacks have won the Heisman, while only three running backs have won the award. Those running backs, Reggie Bush, Mark Ingram, and Derrick Henry. Now, if you've listened to this show for a while, specifically last year, you know that I think the Heisman is the most overrated award in sports. Sure, winning the trophy is cool for the person who wins, but it doesn't mean anything when it comes to future NFL success, which is more important. It's great that Mayfield won the Heisman last year. He certainly deserved it, but I would have much rather seen Mayfield hoisting the national championship trophy as opposed to the Heisman, and I'd bet Mayfield feels the same way. That being said, there's no reason not to have a little fun with Heisman odds. After all, the Supreme Court recently opened the door for sports betting legalization across the United States. Let's try and make some money, shall we? A big part of betting futures is getting a great deal, and I would submit that the odds of a running back winning the Heisman are slim considering the recent history of the award. With that in mind, it's not a great bet to put your money on Taylor or Love. Now, why is it not a great bet? Well, because one, they're the favorites, so you won't maximize your winnings. Two, usually quarterbacks win the Heisman. And three, I'm not so sure those are the two best running backs in college football. A huge part of winning money while betting sports is taking advantage of some inside info. And I would say all of us here in the West of Everest world have a little bit of inside info that not a lot of casual college football fans have. And that's Rodney Anderson was the best running back in college football the final two months of last season. If a running back's going to win the Heisman in 2018, why not Rodney? Anderson's got incredible value right now. He's at plus 2,500. That means a $100 bet would earn you 2,500 bucks if Anderson wins the Heisman. If you're in Vegas right now or Delaware or New Jersey, place that bet. As for all the quarterbacks who will be up for the award, Alabama's Tua Tagovailoa and Clemson's Trevor Lawrence have the best odds right now. That's a bit crazy considering Tua has played only one half of college football. Granted, it was the national title game. And Lawrence 
has not played one snap of college football. Sure, both those guys could be really good in 2018, but if I get a chance to make a future Heisman Trophy bet on a quarterback, I'll take Will Greer at plus 2,000. He could be the best quarterback in the nation this fall. He's certainly the best quarterback in the Big 12 at the moment. You may be wondering, what about Kyler Murray? Well, as of now, Murray does not have any Heisman odds. As the summer continues, I'm sure a number for Murray will be formulated. When that number comes available, we'll let you know. Until then, take a summer trip to the Jersey Shore and place some future bets. It's all in good fun. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Mayfield steps up in the pocket, looks down the middle, has a man. Touchdown, Oklahoma, D.D. Westbrook. What a catch by Westbrook. Look at Mayfield celebrate. That's what I'm talking about. In unbridled passion and joy about playing football. And his teammates appreciate that. Mayfield's first touchdown pass is a Sooner. Westbrook's first touchdown reception is a Sooner. The one and the only Baker Mayfield welcomes us into another episode of West of Everest. Mayfield's first ever touchdown pass in a Sooners uniform went to D.D. Westbrook back on September the 5th, 2015. Right off the bat, Mayfield showed Sooner Nation his passion for the game of football, and it only grew from there. This being the sixth month of the year, we highlight the best player to ever wear number six at Oklahoma. That is, of course, Baker Mayfield. And with that, let me welcome you into episode 55 of West of Everest. Once again, I am Lee Benson, and I'm joined by my brother Grant, as always, we're not going to waste any time at the start of the show today. Let's jump right into the meat of this episode, which is an early look slash breakdown of the final six games of Oklahoma's 2018 schedule. Now, if you missed last week's episode, we went over the first six games of Oklahoma's schedule. Grant and I recommend that you go back and listen to that if you've got the time. A lot of good info there. We talked about those games for almost an hour. A lot of stuff specifically on Florida Atlantic, Oklahoma's season opening opponent. Before we get to OU versus TCU, though, Grant, uh, first of all, welcome. And also, do you have any uh, thoughts over the last week of information that, that we've uh, that we've gotten? Anything on my opening take? Maybe Kyler Murray related? Anything like that? Lee, the very first thing I have to say today is something that I previewed for you via text message about an hour before we, we started recording. That is, it's, and I, it's a statement that I'm going to say. I am 100% confident, 100% sure that Rodney Anderson is a better back than Jonathan Taylor that I am 100% sure of okay yeah I would uh I would agree with that uh Jonathan Taylor of course a freshman last year had a great season buying that great Wisconsin offensive line which returns everybody this year which I'm sure is a big reason why Taylor has such good odds to win you know and I'm not I'm not saying Jonathan Taylor isn't good he is he's he's very good he was someone I was actually really impressed with when I watched just he's a he's one of those really good vision backs he's basically a clone of Monte Ball pretty much a clone I mean they're the exact same player um so yeah I mean it, I I feel like he's probably the favorite just by default um I had said over text message he's almost barring injury he's almost certain to lead the country in, in rushing next year uh, just with Wisconsin returning their entire offensive line and him carrying the ball at least 30 times every game. Um, he's a guy who's probably a real threat to run for over 2,000 yards next season, um, which, you know, it makes sense. Wisconsin, they have another soft schedule minus uh, a road trip to Iowa and Penn State later in the year. Um, 
Wisconsin's going to win 10 or 11 games. You might as well pencil them in right away. Um, and so Jonathan Taylor is obviously going to be putting up monster numbers. And it just makes sense. I get it. But I'm telling you right now, Jonathan Taylor ain't winning the Heisman. It's not happening. Yeah, it's 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 tough to um, – I mean, just predicting a running back to win is, is difficult considering what I said in the opening take. Not a lot of running backs win it, but in a year where going into the season, there's really not a whole lot of – elite type returning quarterbacks so there's a lot of um, question marks in the quarterback position that's probably why there's two running backs that are favored right now because we know about Bryce Love and we know about Jonathan Taylor so and I uh, I I, I do think Bryce Love is great I think um, I, I I'm not ready yet to call Rodney Anderson you know the best back in the country because of Bryce Love I, I think I think those Bryce Love is very impressive when he gets into the open field um, so Interesting for sure. I mean, there's the this season is is kind of loaded with running backs. Um, at least off the top of my head, you know, those first two that you mentioned with Rodney Anderson. Um, there's also David Montgomery in the Big Twelve, who a lot of people kind of forget about now because of Rodney Anderson. Um, but interesting season for sure. I think at that position. And a couple other quick notes before we jump into that uh, OU uh, TCU game. Uh, Officially now, Kyler Murray, on Friday of last week, he signed his deal with the Oakland Athletics, going to pay him. Uh, the signing bonus is $4.66 million, and part of that deal is that he will not play football in 2019. So you and I last week were talking about how Lincoln Riley had had said, oh, you know, there might be an option for him to play football actually again in 2019. Well, nope, uh, as we suspected um, it's going to be one year and done for Kyler Murray. He's going to play in 2018, so hopefully Oklahoma can get uh, a lot of good stuff out of him. Um, Grant, did you see any video of him taking BP at the Coliseum in Oakland and, and wearing an A's jersey? That was interesting. I mean, it's, we never saw Baker Mayfield or Jason White or Sam Bradford wearing a Major League Baseball uniform and taking batting practice. <laughs> well, I think the circumstances in this case are a tad differently. Um, no, I didn't see any any highlights of that i'm sure it was I, i'm sure he put on a show I, I i can imagine he's probably good at taking batting practice <laughs> all right and uh the last bit of uh information that just came out today we're recording this on tuesdays of course as we normally do lincoln riley gets a new contract on tuesday uh the ou board of regents met today and riley's got a contract now going through 2023 that will pay him 4.8 million dollars per year so this upcoming season he will get he'll be get uh, just slightly more than uh, Kyler Murray so that's I know that's kind of the joke going around today which that's just super interesting because I mean think about how much flack and jazz Kyler Murray's going to get this fall from all of his teammates and the coaches about being a millionaire and still playing college yeah that's I I, I thought that was a great anecdote I, I saw that going around social media today too and the uh when the news dropped and yeah pretty much every single tweet along with it had uh, Lincoln Riley is now again the highest paid member of the Oklahoma football team, um, which I, th I thought that I thought that was funny. Um, I, I would love to see if if, if Riley will give uh, Kyler a little jazz about that. I think that'd be hilarious. Um, but but yeah, I mean, he sir certainly will. I'm, I'm, he certainly will in private and with the team. And well, stuff, yeah, that's what I mean. We just that's don't know if it's going to be public because who knows what. I hope it's not public. That would be bad. That would be very bad. Please do if Lincoln well, Riley, who obviously listens joke, to the show, I mean, please, please do not, uh, do not, uh, do not acknowledge what what we just talked about in public. Please. Well, why not? If it's like a joke and it's funny, if he's allowed to talk about it, I think it'd be a good soundbite. Mm, there's a time and place for a thing, and that thing is there's no time and place for it on television. I just, in my I disagree. opinion, disagree. 
disagree wholeheartedly. They're 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 both millionaires now. Oh, well, I guess it, it doesn't matter. You know, you know, as soon as that happened, whoever runs the compliance department at OU would just be would be sweating buckets. Well, that's you know the thing. It. It, well, that's my that's what I meant. I mean, if there's sort of rules against it, then they won't. But I'm not sure about that. I'm not in a compl- uh, compliance expert. So that's the news and notes. Let's pick up where we left off now from last week's show, Grant. OU Texas, October the 6th. We talked about it last week. After that, the Sooners get a bye, and then they take on TCU in Fort Worth. Grant, I'll give you the first crack at the Horn Frogs. What do you see from that team right now? Uh, Lee, that that uh, that two-game stretch right there, the one that we, that we ended on last week and the one we're starting with this week, Texas and TCU, um, you know, if the Sooners get to that point at five and only, that's their season right there. That's the season. I, I, I do think those are the two best teams. Uh, those are the second and third best teams going into the season in the Big 12. I think those are the two biggest, uh, the two teams that, that pose the biggest threat to the Sooners' uh, Big 12 title uh, championship right there. Um, and so with, with, with TCU going there, uh, one thing, though, we do have to mention here, Lee, that the Sooners do get the bye this week after Texas, which is kind of odd. That doesn't really happen. Um, a lot, at least I, I like their first buy usually is, is before Texas typically. So th- this is kind of new. Well, that's interesting that you think that. I mean, I understand Texas. We talked about Texas last week, and we don't really know yet, but they have all the talent that they can line up with OU and be, you know, right there with them. But as far as TCU, you're uh, you're you're kind of high on TCU this year, huh? Yeah, you know they. They bring back pieces on their defense that are significant. Uh, ben Banigou being the most significant one. He's he's likely the Big Twelve preseason defensive player of the year. Uh, they, they have pieces coming back on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I'd have to look at it. I, I think they do have six or seven guys coming back. When that's the case with a Gary Patterson defense, I mean the defense is going to be really good. I, I think that's that's fairly obvious. They they do have uh, some turnover on the offensive side of the ball, most notably Kenny Hill. And a majority of their offensive line as well, but they do return Darius Anderson, who kind of got last season cut short. He's he's really good. He's their best running back. Um, and then I, it looks like you know conventional wisdom suggests it's going to be Sean Robinson for for Gary Patterson's team in the fall. He's he was a true freshman last year. He played a little bit in the first game against OU last year and was not particularly impressive. Uh, I, I just think you know TCU and Texas are going to be two teams where I, the defense again is going to rule the day for them. Um, I think. I think you're going to see TCU take a bit of a step back probably on offense. And I think you're going to see them take a small step forward on defense. So their defense is going to go from being great to a little bit better than great. I think again, and I think Texas is you know probably going to do very similar things on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and we'll see what they do on offense. So, you know, going to Fort Worth, obviously it's not an easy game. Um, I, I don't take that lightly. Uh, you know, they've, they've split the last two times they've gone to Fort Worth. Remember they lost in 2014, uh, with Trevon Boykin, that really good TCU team. So, you know, we'll see. A lot of TCU success is going to come down to what they do at the quarterback position. Um, and if Sean Robinson, at any point in time next season, if he can, if he can, you know, accurately prove or not accurately, but prove that he can competently complete forward passes, uh, TCU is going to be is, is going to be a really difficult team to defeat next year. Yeah, I don't know what to think of TCU this year. I tend to actually lean towards the Frogs are more likely to have one of those down six, seven win seasons as opposed to being right up there with the Big 12 title uh, for the Big 12 title like they were last year. You know, Kenny Hill, you mentioned him. He's he was fine the past two seasons, but of course, they got to replace him. And yeah, it looks like Sean Robinson's 
the likely starter, and I'm just not sure if he's capable of completing many forward passes. I mean, I mean, limited action last year. He had that one start late in the year against Texas Tech. TCU won that game, but uh, Robinson ran the ball more effectively in that game than he threw it. Um, and I mean, he's got all offseason to improve, obviously, and, and I'm sure he's he's thinking that he's going to be the starter. But I remember he looked pretty bad in that Tech game. And, I mean, that's all I have to go on right now. Plus, they got three offensive linemen to replace on that side of the football. I, I mean, they do have those nice skill players. You mentioned Darius Anderson. And then, remember, Cavante Turpin. He's just Yeah, he's, he's, he's still there somehow. I don't he's know how he's still yeah. there. Yeah, he's he's a guy who I know, I, I, I think he's, he's taken a, a bit of a step back since his freshman year when he really showed off the explosiveness. He, he's had some injuries, and that's obviously affected him throughout his career, so... Uh, but but still, obviously, a guy who you know flash in the pan can can hurt you anywhere. But you know the guy that I'm most concerned about on that offense outside of Darius Anderson is who is now going to be the true sophomore receiver, uh, Jalen Rager. He was he was a guy who who in uh, who showed flashes of brilliance last year. Um, and, and typically, there there's just a lot of the times. I mean, you'll see flashes from a freshman, and they'll put it all together their sophomore year. So you know, Jalen Rager, I think, is a guy who's likely going to take a step forward and be kind of in that upper echelon of of receivers in the Big Twelve this upcoming season. Yeah, and then on defense, I mean, it's Gary Patterson. They're always seemingly solid on that side of the ball, but uh, only five players returning on that defense. You mentioned Banagoo. I mean, he's he's a good player, but uh, I mean. You know, we'll see. I mean, I guess TCU normally is able to kind of plug and play on defense. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm kind of leaning towards them maybe. I, I mean, certainly they could have a good year, but it's like the past, you know, they've kind of been back and forth the last couple of years, and they had those back-to-back, I think, good years, and I think, what is it, 14 and 15, or where they were, you know, double-digit win seasons. But, you know, it was 2016 they were down. Uh, 2017, of course, last year they were really good. So I now a new quarterback now this year. Uh, I could see them kind of being down. Um, it is worth noting that TCU will have a little bit of extra time to prepare for the Sooners in this game. The Frogs play Texas Tech on a Thursday before they play OU that upcoming week. So that's that's relevant, I would say. Um, looking at their schedule, I'm not sure if, if, if you're looking at their schedule at all, Grant. I, I'd say TCU will either be 4-2 and two or 3-3 three and three going into this game against Oklahoma. So I think Oklahoma is likely to be favored in this one, even though the Sooners are on the road. Yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, they're they're probably going to be fair. I mean, obviously, it depends on you know what happens in the season leading up to it. Yeah. If, if I mean, if, if TCU is three and three or four and two coming into that game, then yeah, I mean, the Sooners are are very likely to be favored. You know, unless obviously there's there's some losses or you know multiple losses we don't really see coming in the early half of the season, which. You know, I'm I'm a cynical Sooner fan, and so before we kick off the season, you're going to hear a lot of lectures from me about how don't you know don't get too confident. You you heard it a lot last week when we were talking about Florida Atlantic. Um, just to put the capper one more time on TCU, just on their defense, you mentioned I, I I couldn't remember how many guys they had coming back on on defense. So thank you for that. They had five guys coming back. I, I mentioned Ben Banigou. Uh The other guy I want to I want to mention the other you know player of note. Uh, he's a linebacker Ty Summers. He was the guy who actually concussed Baker Mayfield a few years ago. If anyone remembers that, he's still there. This, this guy's still on the team, Ty Summers. So he's a he, he's a four year starter at linebacker. He's a good player. And also Lee, uh, TCU has had kind of an, an unheralded like under the radar grad transfer that I think is going to be. Uh, a really significant addition for them, uh, a, a sneaky addition. Uh, the a grad transfer from Northern Illinois, the linebacker Jawan Johnson. Lee Northern Illinois uh, was a top ten S and P defense last year, and Jawan Johnson had ninety eight tackles, five interceptions, and three sacks for Northern Illinois last year on their defense. 
Uh, he was an all-conference MAC player. So um, I think that's a really good pickup for, for TCU. And, I mean, you know, as soon as Gary Patterson gets his hands on this guy, I think he, he's pretty obviously going to be an impact player for them. I mentioned uh, whether or not Oklahoma will likely be favored or not because uh, previously last week when we started this, uh, the listener question was uh, wondering if, if OU would be favored in every game. So with each one of these games, um, I'm giving my thoughts on whether or not they'll be favored. Granted, again, we don't know because by that time of the year, there's going to be multiple games under the Sooners' belts and the other team's belts. So we don't know. So that's why I'm going to say likely. Uh, finally, TCU. Grant, I mean, if you're if you're kind of high on TCU, you might uh, you might need to book a flight to Vegas or, or or call somebody in Vegas or Delaware and 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 do a future over under bet because TCU's over under win total right now seven and a half. So if you're high on them, you could go you could you could be a happy over for yeah. the Horn Frogs. Let me let me go and look at their football their, their schedule real quick. I want to I want to look at it see if I agree with you. What'd you say like three and three or four and two? Before they play OU, yeah. All right, so they open with Southern. They'll win that game. They go on their own and play SMU. They'll win that game. Uh, then they are at Jerry World against Ohio State. Yeah, I can see that one. You know what? Yeah, you know they they have a they kind of have a brutal stretch um, in September. They play in back to back to back weeks. There they play Ohio State. They're at Texas and they play Iowa State. That's that's not a you know yeah I. I Three and three or, or four and two is realistic, but I also think five and one is realistic with with this schedule as well. Yep, I agree. All right, let's move on to the next game on the schedule for Oklahoma. That's a another uh, another home matchup again. Oklahoma playing what seven home games this year? Yeah, first time I, I, in a while. And yeah. I don't I don't remember that ever being the case. So if I if saw someone... a tweet recently where uh, it was like seven home games for the first time since. And it was somewhere in the the two thousands, I think. So it has happened somewhat recently. I can't remember the exact year. Yeah, though. you know, back when I, I suppose back when they were playing four non conference games, which I prefer, by the way. I, I absolutely loathe the nine game conference schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean that's probably what it was back when they were playing four non conference games. So Kansas State on October the twenty seventh, Oklahoma back at home against the Wildcats, of course. A season ago, OU was given a scare by Kansas State and Manhattan. Oh, that was uh, that was a game that didn't need to be a touchdown spread, but it was. Uh, notables for Kansas State: the Wildcats returned their entire offensive line, which is perfect for a team like Kansas State because we know what they want to do, Grant, and that's pound the football and and run the ball because basically they have two glorified running backs that are going to be competing for the starting quarterback job, and that's Alex Delton and Skylar Thompson. That's the big question is which one of them will win the job. Delton was playing a lot of it in the middle part of the year. And then Thompson, I saw, uh, he took over kind of down the stretch of 2017. And then both of them played snaps in the bowl game uh, when Kansas State beat UCLA, man. But I remember seeing Alex Delton up close and personal in that that K-State OU game. And statistically, he had a great game. But, man, Oklahoma's defense let him have a great game. And he just he struggles. Alex Delton is the worst thrower of the forward pass in all of Division I college football. I am serious. That is not hyperbole. He completed 56% of his passes last year. Uh, Thompson, I think, was at 63, so certainly a lot better, but uh, not that great considering college football. You, you want your quarterbacks, you know, 65 or higher. They're really good ones. Well, but 63 it's, is okay. It's good. And so, and so I'm sure a lot of you are asking, how, how is it possible that Alex Delton could be so you know, effective if he's literally the worst thrower of the football at Division One level, it's because he may be the best runner of the football at the quarterback position in the Division One football level. 
And when you have to respect that, that means that even if he's terrible at throwing, sometimes he's he's going to be able to to complete some some big shots. Um, and that fifty six percent completion percentage stuns the crap out of me so much. I, I mean, a lot of that's got to be behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> Uh, so this is a home game for Oklahoma Grant. When K-State comes to Norman, she's, I guess, didn't K-State knock off OU, I guess, in Norman a few years back, which was a huge surprise. kind of, But, I mean, normally, though, yeah, when Oklahoma 2014. Go, okay. I was, I, I was going to say, normally when Oklahoma faces K-State at home, it's it's no big deal. But, yeah, there was that game in 2014. So, uh, man, I, I, I know you've mentioned in the past that Kansas State's one of those teams where you're not normally that worried about. Um Basically, it comes down to can Oklahoma improve its run defense? Because the only reason why Kansas State was able to be competitive last year is because Oklahoma could not stop. I mean, what was the basically the wing T is what Kansas State did, and Oklahoma just could not figure it out. I mean, it wasn't the wing the T, wild but it was, a, it was wild uh, I'm sorry, the Wildcat. My bad. Yeah, it was. Oh, it was Mike Stoops had mentioned it was kind of like the wing T, I think, in, in this post game. That's what it was. Um, so, yeah, it's can Oklahoma figure out a way to stop that Wildcat, which Oklahoma could not do last year? Yeah. And if you guys Man. remember that game, I mean, that was in the first half of that game. That was just a, that was just a classic example of their defense just getting their ass kicked. I mean, they were just getting pushed around. Um, mm-hmm. They came out in the second half and they just played better. And in the third quarter, Kansas State didn't really do anything. Yeah, that's that's that was a weird game. That was that was weird. That one really wasn't on scheme at all. That was just the the front seven uh, in the first half of that game against Kansas State. They just they got their tail whooped up and down the field. It was embarrassing. And again, K-State, their entire offensive line is back, and they get uh, Alex Barnes, running back, returning as well. He's pretty good. Um, so it's it's a situation where Oklahoma is going to be tested in the trenches. And like TCU, the Wildcats are going to have some extra time to prepare for Oklahoma because K-State has a bye before it goes to Norman to face the Sooners. So that could factor in as well. I mean, when you give a team extra time to prepare for Oklahoma, which Kansas State, I'm sure, will look at as one of you know, obviously probably their biggest game of the season. Um, that's significant, I think. Oklahoma, of course, at home, likely to be favored in this one. And Kansas State's over under six and a half wins. So that sounds about right. Kansas State, normally six, seven, eight win team. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, the So Bill Connolly, who is who is kind of the purveyor of the S&P system that I like so much, he, he, he publishes his his season previews every single summer, and he just got done with the Big 12 uh, last Friday, actually. And then yesterday or, or today, he published his uh, Big 12 power rankings. He actually has Kansas State in his projections as finishing ninth in the Big 12. Um, in, his, in his preseason projections, Kansas State came out as ninth um, wow. in the Big so, 12. Wow, I mean, out of, K-State yeah, so, and I'm guessing Kansas in the, in the yeah, basement. Yeah, so I think I, I want to say it was uh, – I, I have to go back. Everyone, go go and look at this. Uh, Bill Connolly, S&P uh, for SB Nation, he does a great job with this stuff. Um, if I, I want to say Kansas State was in the 70s or 80s overall in, in S&P, and, and Kansas obviously was in the 100s. Um, but yeah, the the computers not very high on Kansas State as but but Connolly in his article says that that's not typically you know that's that's not that weird for the computers to hate Kansas State um, that Kansas State kind of always outperforms their projections and their numbers you know it, it looks like they're gonna have to do it again this year um, I, I I certainly find it interesting that they're bringing back their entire offensive line and quarterback um, and running back. Of course, they're. I mean, they're losing Byron Pringle, who is really their only downfield threat in the passing game. Um, 
yeah, we'll see. I mean, they're obviously going to have to win games by controlling the clock and playing decent defense. Uh, you know, playing decent defense, you know, for them is not always a given. They're, you know, physically they're they're pushed around, you know, quite a bit. Not in the Big Twelve, uh, but when they go up against teams that have the distinct talent advantage, they get pushed around quite a bit, which is usually why I don't really worry about Kansas State. Of course, unless they're coming to Norman, they've the Sooners have lost two of their last three in Norman against Kansas State. Kansas State had a a sneaky good rushing defense last year but it's probably because teams didn't need to run the ball against them because their pass defense was so horrible uh k-state only allowed 117 yards per game on the ground which was a top 15 unit but they they allowed on average over 300 yards passing per game which was one of the worst in college football uh 25 points per game in the big 12 that's actually not too bad that they only allowed 25 points per game but still yeah defense is kind of hit and miss there with uh, kansas state Let's move on now to November 3rd. So we're into November. Oklahoma at Texas Tech. Uh, the Red Raiders came to Norman last year and gave the Sooners a bit of a scare in the first quarter, if memory serves. But then after that, Oklahoma kind of took care of business against Texas Tech. Tons of starters back on defense for Texas Tech. To me, that's kind of the story or one of the one of the big stories. Uh, Nine of 11 starters back. But does that matter considering the defense wasn't good in 2017 texas yeah. tech allowed 5.8 yards per play which is actually slightly worse than what oklahoma allowed on defense last year yeah i thought it was kind of an interesting storyline last year everyone you know talking about you know how improved you know how, how much improved the texas tech defense was which it, you know it technically was and if you remember in september they kind of they kind of shut down houston at houston and everyone thought wow this is a texas tech team that can really play defense well once they got into the big 12 i it the yeah, it didn't really hold up. Is, is is putting it lightly? So Texas Tech does return a lot of guys, Lee, and I and I, I want to say they were in the mid '80s last year um, in, in defensive S and P, which is which is bad. It's not good, but relative to what Texas Tech was used to, probably is good. So this is where it gets kind of interesting talking about Texas Tech. What their defense that is coming back it returns nine of the eleven guys, but their defense was bad last year. Do not. Like don't don't listen to anyone who says that their defense was good. It was bad. It, it was not a good defense. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, it, it was good relative to Texas Tech throughout the years, um, but compared to the national defenses out there, I mean, it was still in the bottom half, at the bottom half of the entire you know country. Mm-hmm. Not not a good defense. So, but of course, always. I mean, going to Lubbock is always going to always going to scare me. It's going to come down to what they have at the quarterback position. Um, them not having Pat Mahomes there obviously makes me feel a whole lot better, but you know, they only had Pat Mahomes there for two years. Um, I, it, it totally comes down to what Cliff Kingsbury does at the quarterback position. Um, I know they graduated Nick Shimanek. Uh, they got some younger guys coming back. You know, we'll see what was, was Cliff able, able to find his quarterback. And that's pretty much all that matters in Lubbock. Um, expect the defense to be bad again. The, the defense is going to be bad again. Cliff Kingsbury's team returns four out of five offensive linemen, so that's good considering they have a uh, have to replace their starting quarterback. Uh, that starting quarterback will be either listen to these names. This is fun: McLean Carter or Jet Duffy. I think so, Mc- uh, we'll McLean s- Carter kind of played in that game against Texas yep. last year, and he was bad. Um, so maybe it's going to be Jet Duffy taking snaps. I guess at we'll quarterback see. Quarterback for Texas. I don't know. Tech. I mean they. Texas Tech, 
I mean, Texas Tech has never been bad at quarterback. They, they've never just been atrocious at quarterback. So I, I can't really expect them to be this, you know, this time. But we'll see. It's interesting for sure. Texas Tech's an interesting team in this league. Um, yeah. They were they, mm-hmm. they were kind of a spunky team last year, and I, I thought they were a little bit better last year than their record indicated. Um, and I don't know. We'll we'll see it. We'll see if the defense is capable of taking that next step. I I don't think it is. It's it, it's hard to make a, a defense that was improved last year, of course, but but was still bad. It, it's hard to make a bad defense good with you know when you're absent of a lot of elite talent. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you on that one. It's it's just difficult to imagine. Oh, they weren't good last year. Yeah, a lot of people were back, but still, I mean, they weren't good last year. Uh, but Cliff Kingsbury, though, I mean, it, for all intents and purposes, the narrative is that he's going to be coaching for his job this year. And uh, I mean, who knows if that's a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I've, so, I mean, we'll see if that that gets more out of the players and maybe tech will surprise some teams this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I mean, I. Texas Tech is, I think, is really important for the Big 12 Conference to be, you know, for a healthy middle of the league. Um, And this league really can't have Texas Tech dip into, you know, into Kansas and old Baylor territory. This league just can't have it. You mentioned uh, weird things happen in Lubbock. And um, yeah, I'm with you. It's, you know, the last time they were there was that that horrible game where they combined for 100 points more than 100 points and like a bazillion yards total yards in 2016 with pat mahomes and mayfield uh but that being said though uh the last time oklahoma lost in lubbock it was uh that that awful 2009 game where they just though you just got run just got run by tech whenever the the one game where ou's defense did not show up so it's been a long time since oklahoma's actually lost a game in lubbock which i was honestly kind of surprised to see that i figured they had lost since then and of course, uh, I know, and of course, the one everyone remembers is is from 2007 when Sam Bradford got concussed. Yeah. That and that, and I, I mean that that cost him a national championship. That game right there, that concussion cost them a national championship. Uh, interesting. Tech opens the year uh, against Ole Miss in Houston, so that could be an interesting game because Ole Miss is still kind of trying to rebuild after all the Hugh Free stuff. Um, you know, yeah, we'll we'll see about uh, Texas Tech. They're over under six and a half wins. So Vegas. Uh, kind of middle of the pack, not too high, not too low on Texas. Tech. I gotta think that's that's got to be the over under for a decent amount of Big Twelve teams, like in the <laughs> middle there. Like seriously, I mean, outside yeah, I mean, of so far, we've had uh, six and a half for Tech, six and a half for Kansas State, and seven and a half for TCU. So that was kind of the theme of the of, of the Bill Connolly uh, Big Twelve preview. Lee was that looking at the numbers, there's basically saying there's 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 quite a big gap between Oklahoma and the rest of the conference coming into this season by the numbers. Grant and I will talk Bedlam here in a moment. But first, thanks to you all for listening to the show and supporting the show, of course. Feel free to follow. Feel free to like us on Facebook if you have not already. We got a fantastic comment today from Facebook, from a Facebook listener who provided us with a lot of potential future content for the upcoming podcast. We'll address uh, actually one of his questions later in the show, so stay tuned for that. Aside from Facebook, feel free to take a minute, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Also, plug our email address into your phone so you can shoot us a a note whenever you'd like. That email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. Again, that's westofeverest at gmail.com. And also, if you're on Twitter, you can follow Grant. His Twitter handle is at GrantBenson25. My Twitter handle is at Lee Benson News 9. Feel free to reach out to us any way you see fit. 
comments, questions, ideas for future shows, anything you'd like. We're all ears. We'll do our best to accommodate you, of course. Now back to our early look at the Sooners schedule. Bedlam is November the 10th this year in Norman. So first off, we're going to talk Oklahoma State. I think we have to mention this uh, Mike Holder, Mike Gundy thing. Uh, the athletic director for Oklahoma State, Mike Holder, saying some stuff in a podcast recently, uh, Pistols Firing Podcast. Uh, it's, a, it's a great Oklahoma State podcast. I've listened to a few of them, uh, especially back during the season, to kind of get a feel because, of course, working at News 9, I need to know about Oklahoma a lot and also Oklahoma State quite a bit. And those guys over there, uh, Kyle and Carson, are, are real good. They're real plugged in, so I like listening to their stuff. Anyways, they had Mike Holder on. And Grant, did you hear much about the story? First off, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I, okay, read, okay. I, I read like a synopsis of it, so I, I'm... Okay. Yeah, I'm locked so, in. So yeah, just, 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 just a quick, uh, the brief point of it basically holder saying in the podcast that he would do things differently uh it, within recruiting and he would try and finish higher up in the recruiting rankings which uh i mean sure you know every school wants to finish higher up in the rankings uh the question i guess would be then uh could mike gundy recruit better than he is right now and i don't know the answer to that question i'm not sure if a lot of coaches out there could get many four and five star players to stillwater uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult for the Sooners to get four and five stars to Norman. So uh, I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on that. I just think it's interesting what Holder said. He didn't really provide any examples of what he would do differently to get more talented players. He just said, hey, I do things differently and I'd try to finish higher on the recruiting rankings. Kind of a bizarre thing to say. Uh, Grant, your thoughts, if, if at all, on this this story? Well, so the implication of that comment, right, is that Holder whether he rightfully or wrongfully, I mean, he clearly believes maybe that they're not living up to their ceiling and recruiting. I, I, I would assume maybe I think that's the implication of that, yeah. of that comment. Um, and so I guess to analyze that, I, I don't know. I, I, I really would, would have to know inside information. I guess I, I don't really know Mike Gundy's recruiting tactics um, just briefly off of what I've read in, in terms of comments from that. You know, I, and these are people just, you know, these are people like, you know, Alan Kinney and Ian Boyd, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter personas, you know, one of one of them made a comment that, you know, Mike Gundy has a reputation for um, talking to talking to highly rated kids. But as soon as, you know, as soon as the big boys come in, he he really backs off and is scared away. Um, if, is there any truth to that? I'm not sure. I don't I, I don't know. I just I, I'm not real plugged into Oklahoma State recruiting. I. I will tell you that before this, I, I would have I would have told you that I, you know, Oklahoma State should probably watch their mouth if they're gonna, you know, if they're ever gonna badmouth Mike Gundy. Um, he's what he's done to that program, and from my eyes, is um, is immeasurable. He, he's done a great job. I, Oklahoma State, where they have been in their history, I mean, that's historically Oklahoma State is is a bad college football program. If if you want to take in, you know, the history of the of their entire program, it's it's historically not a good program. Mike Gundy has come in and he's turned that into a perennial top 15 program in the country. And they were, you know, they were two inches away from playing in a national championship game in 2011. Um, I don't know. So I, I would say if, if I was Oklahoma state, I would be doing everything in my power not to piss off Mike Gundy, but Hey, I, I I'm not, I don't know. That doesn't, Mike Holder might have a point there. It, it's possible that, you know, maybe he thinks that with the success that they've achieved, that maybe he needs to dip his toes, you know, more into the four and five star pool than he has. Um, what I can say definitively is, and I don't know if I can say it definitively because, you know, 2011 did happen. Uh, but if, if, if Oklahoma state's can, 
if, if they continue to recruit the way they've been recruiting, which is, you know, typically in, you know, the mid thirties to the forties of the national rankings, they're not going to win a national championship. They just can't, it's not going to happen. They're, they're just not going to have the bodies and the talent available. And I say that, you know, full well knowing that they, you know, they did, you know, come uh, a missed field goal away from playing in a national title seven years ago. So, uh, interesting for sure. I, I, I just, I'm, I, and I don't want to be that type of fan, but I, I just, I, Oklahoma State is is just is never going to be amongst the elite of the elite in college football. They they just never will be. Mike Gundy, one hundred and fourteen and fifty three in thirteen seasons at Oklahoma State. And you mentioned uh, if they keep recruiting the way they recruit now, they're not going to win a national championship. Well, Grant, they're not going to win a national championship in twenty eighteen. Uh, this team, they're they're just they're sure to have a down season uh, because. Simply, they're losing Mason Rudolph. And yeah, I mean, James Washington, too, is, is a big one. And all those other wide receivers that they, they lost to the NFL draft. Um, if Oklahoma is, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, if, if OSU is stuck starting Taylor Cornelius or Keandre Woodtee this fall, I, I would not be surprised if this is a bad football team this upcoming year. Because I've, Cornelius right now, considered the number one guy after spring ball. Uh, he's a fifth-year walk-on. Hasn't had any any real playing time at all and uh wood t he's a three star out of the class of 2016 again he hasn't had a lot of experience either um as far as in like real games i mean they've got experience within the program obviously especially cornelius but i i haven't seen much from them in, in the the little bit that they've played I, I guess cornelius looked okay in the spring but it's the spring um this summer they get grad transfer drew brown and true freshman Spencer Sanders on campus, and Sanders, he's the future of this of this team. I mean, he's a four star quarterback. Yeah, Sanders which, is going to be the mm-hmm. is, is certainly going to be the starter in twenty nineteen for certain. I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure about about this upcoming year. Right. Yeah, he's got such a quick turnaround getting on campus and learning everything, and then uh, and then Drew Brown, the grad transfer, he's from Hawaii. I've I've seen limited film on him. Uh, when I first heard the news of just Drew Brown guy coming to Oklahoma State, uh, whenever it was announced, uh, you know, in the winter time, um, I thought, okay, boom. You know, normally, when these grad transfer guys come over, they start, and I kind of figured he'd be the starter. And but him getting on campus so late kind of hurts that. So I don't know if I, I could have been wrong about that. But to me, in, in the film I've seen. He looks kind of like the poorest of poor man Baker Mayfield, but then I thought more about it, and I thought, yeah, I, I should not use Mayfield as an example because they're not even in the same stratosphere. So I decided to go with he's like a poor man's Mackenzie Milton or maybe even a poor man's Trace McSorley. That's kind of what I saw in film from Drew Brown. Uh, he's undersized, uh, but he's got good mobility, and I'm curious to see what he can do in one year with Mike Gundy and, and Yursich uh, coaching him up and, and not being in the Hawaii program. So to me, the... Uh, one of two interesting things is the quarterback situation and then the defensive situation, but I'll let you go here if you have any thoughts on the quarterback spot. Yeah, Lee, I, th- I, I, I like your breakdown there. I'm, I, I do think Oklahoma State is a prime step-back candidate this year. Um, they, just, they, they lose so much. I mean, their team, whether or, not, you know, whether or not you're an Oklahoma State fan, you would admit it, their team was Mason Rudolph, Marcel Aitman, and James Washington. That was their team last year, um, and their team's gone. The, their entire team's gone. Um, they still have Justice Hill. They they, they still have Hill Justice Hill. Justice Hill is their team too. And you know, yeah, Justice Hill's a good player. He, he's a good player. Um, yeah, I, I just so I want to revisit one of the reasons why I I'm so high on TCU Lee, and I, and I'm going to lump Oklahoma State in here too. So kind of in this decade of Texas being being down, kind of being in the middle of the pack of of the Big Twelve, 
the two programs that have been the most consistent in that in that span um, to challenge Oklahoma in the conference have been TCU and Oklahoma State. Um, in fact, so this is where it gets weird. Oklahoma State really, uh, their profile and the success that they've had, they have the profile of a team that should be able to reload and, and win eight or nine games in a season where they're replacing a lot of guys. Um I don't know if they're if they're capable of doing that with the way they're with with the way they've been recruiting. TCU is capable of doing that with the way they've been recruiting. Um, so, I think this is certainly an interesting kind of case study in what we're going to see this year. TCU has won. TCU's won eleven games uh, for the last five seasons. I mean, that's I I can't imagine there's ten other programs in the country that have done that. I can't imagine there's five programs in the country that have done that. Um, so that went in that I went into a lot of my calculus with TCU. Like Oklahoma State has done something similar. You know, they've I you know, they're a team that wins ten games almost every single year now, it seems like since Mike Gundy has been there. But they don't really have the recruiting success to kind of back up a lot of that. So it, it's gonna be interesting to you know, with TCU and Oklahoma State, which direction these two teams go into is gonna be interesting. And I really think this is a year where Oklahoma State might take a step back. Um, and I think Texas is going to fill the void. This is when Texas, I think, is finally going to step up um, and look like they, they cross the threshold that they, they haven't been able to pass since 2009. Just quickly looking up, uh, Oklahoma State, you mentioned they're recruiting a lot. 35th in the 2018 recruiting class, according to rivals. Uh, comparatively, uh, Oklahoma, as we know, top 10 class. Oklahoma tied with Clemson. At number eight this past year. So, yeah, recruiting, uh, I guess you mentioned TCU. Where was TCU? TCU was at 28, so uh, that's a 2018 class. I'm not, you know, a lot of those players, you know, probably won't play. You know, so you're, you're probably thinking more of uh, the previous classes. Um, anyways, moving on back to, back to Oklahoma State. Uh, aside from the offense, and, and we've kind of gone over that a little bit, uh, the defense is in- incredibly intriguing because Glenn Spencer's out. Now Jim Knowles is the new defensive coordinator. Uh, and by the way, Spencer, I didn't see this until I started doing research on Oklahoma State. Spencer actually got a job at Charlotte as the D.C., so good for Spencer getting back on his feet. Uh, he always seemed like a, a real good guy. And I, I mean, I think, I, again, we've talked about this before. His defense was playing some really good football last season until the Oklahoma game. And after that, it just they went downhill. It just oh, Baker Mayfield and company just destroyed the Cowboys defense last season. If, if, if any of you guys want a fun, just kind of to go back and listen to something, listen to our, uh, our preview for Bedlam and listen to Lee just uh, talk about how well Oklahoma State's defense is playing and how concerned he is about how well Oklahoma State's defense is playing. And the entire time I'm sitting there going, meh, they're fine. They're going to get shredded. Oh, you had 900 yards of offense in that game. So just, <laughs> just, so, so just to toot my own horn, I, I, so go back and listen to that if you want a nice laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, everything I said in that podcast at the time was true, so I don't. But sure, yeah. Ha <laughs> Let's all make fun of Lee. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, so more on Jim Knowles. He was at Duke prior to Oklahoma State. He's been there since 2010. Uh, I was looking back at some of Duke's numbers defensively, and not great. Uh, the two best years at Duke defensively was in 2014 and actually last season where the Blue Devils allowed 5.2 yards per play, which is is not great, but not terrible. Uh, but out of those eight seasons where Knowles was at Duke, I counted at least three times where Duke was allowing more than six yards per play. And, and that was in the ACC, not the Big 12. So I, you know, 
who knows, maybe maybe he'll get more. I mean, I guess Duke probably doesn't recruit because of Oklahoma State. So in theory, Knowles is going to get more talent in Stillwater. Um, one of the positives, though, is that they have a ton of starters back on defense. So Oklahoma State's got a lot of guys back. They do lose Chad Whitener. Uh, he's a, kind of the heart and soul of the defense. Trey Flowers is gone, too. So they do lose some big guys on defense. But uh, they do have a lot of returning starters back. So that is definitely a positive for the Cowboys. Um, yeah, I thought uh, Trey Flowers was by far their best defensive player from last year. Um, I know a lot of people want to talk about Whitener, but I, I, I it was pretty clearly um, Trey Flowers might Trey get Flowers. some significant playing time yeah. for the Seahawks as a rookie this year. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. I, he was, I think, with anyone with eyes, he was he was clearly the best player on their defense for the last for the last two years. Um, anywho, Lee, I, I did just I, I think this is a super interesting discussion with um, with the former Duke defensive coordinator. Uh, just one more time, I want to I, I want to press people maybe to, to go read Bill Connolly's Oklahoma State preview where he does talk about uh, the new defensive coordinator. At least is interesting because. Uh, Jim Knowles in his first seven seasons at Duke was a very conservative defensive coordinator, not a guy who really attacks, not a guy who blitzes. But then in his last season with Duke, he decided to flip the script and he turned in, he, he turned into someone who was aggressive as hell. Um, so if I, if I recall from that preview, um, he said, you know, Duke's, Duke's numbers were, in, were, were kind of crazy. They had a, they had a really great success rate on defense, which means, uh, they, they weren't allowing a lot of successful plays, but they had a, but their, uh, their explosiveness was terrible, much like Oklahoma's. They were giving up a lot of explosive plays, uh, because they were being so aggressive, um, which is exactly, I think, how you should play defense in the big 12. Uh, so I, I think it's, um, I'm, I'm really curious to see how that's going to turn out. Whether or not he is going to go more of you know with the with that aggressive approach that he did in his last season at Duke, or if he just kind of goes back to his you know what he's done throughout the majority of his career. But I, I would really suggest you go and read that. Um, I, and I know Bill Connolly made a made a big point of it last year too when it was happening. I know uh, something came out. It would, Duke played Baylor if you remember last year, and I watched a lot of that game and. They weren't kidding. Duke blitzed a lot. They stunted a lot. They did a lot. So if if that's what Jim Knowles is going to bring to Oklahoma State, I think that's very interesting. I I love defenses who play like that. This, of course, a home game for OU and Bedlam. Sooners at this time, we could only say they're likely to be favored in that one. And by the way, Oklahoma State over under for the Cowboys seven and a half. So again, that's uh, the four games we've gone over so far in this podcast. We have over unders for our TCU, Kansas State. Texas Tech, Oklahoma State, seven and a half and six and a half. So a lot of middle of the pack teams so far. Uh, this next team, Oklahoma, plays on its schedule on November 17th. Definitely not middle of the pack. The Sooners host Kansas. And, uh, well, we all remember what happened last year when Oklahoma played Kansas and Lawrence. Uh, the whole the big story was Baker Mayfield. Uh, but really, it, another big part of that story is just how, how lame Kansas was, their players, and just how immature they were and and just it's it's kansas i mean we talked about about it at the time uh david Beatty is going to be entering his fourth year at ku i can't believe this will be four years for him or starting his fourth year uh the one positive i can say about kansas is they got a lot of returning starters but is that really positive considering that kansas only won one game last year uh so i to be fair i don't have a whole lot of thoughts on kansas my my big my big kind of nugget that i wanted to throw out there for you grant is that in three years at Kansas, David Beatty is three and thirty-three, and the only win Kansas has over an FBS team during that time span was that win over Texas back in twenty sixteen. Yeah. So, how about this, Leah? I'm 
So I, I, I don't respect Kansas as a football program whatsoever. I think they have a Bush League program. I think David Beatty's a terrible coach. Um, I used to have respect for him as a human being until that, that crap last year. He completely lost control of his team last year um, in that game. And I'm not, I'm not excusing what Baker Mayfield did or anything of that stuff, but I mean, it, it was obvious that, that, he would, that Baker Mayfield was going up against a loser team with a loser mentality, a loser program ran by a loser head coach. Um, so, <laughs> I love it. Just going all in on Kansas, so, uh, I love Kansas it. Is, Kansas used to be kind of like a lovable thing. There are, but now, I, I, now I'm just kind of pissed that they're in the Big 12. I, what a waste of a, of a program. I, I just, they're, just, they're a waste. They're not even really worth talking about. Of course, Oklahoma's going to be favored in this game. Oklahoma could be winless, and they'll be favored in this game, which you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, but I, I, I guess this, this number makes sense because you can't make it too low because then you're kind of you're giving money away. Uh, Kansas over-under. Actually, you know what, Grant? Let's, what's your guess? What do you think the over-under for Kansas is? Wins? Uh, two and a half. Three and a half. Okay, so I, they play one FCS team, I believe. So that's, were, that should be one win. Uh, yeah, per uh, per a really one of my. Uh, if, if any of you guys follow Red Dirt Sport on on Twitter, I know he's a he, he's kind of an interesting dude, but he really loves FCS football. He'll retweet a lot of FCS stuff. Um, when Bill Connolly was tweeting about Kansas's preview, and he said, "Hey, they you know they could win some games." And I think they got into a just a discussion, but but Red Dirt Sport brought up that the FCS team they are playing is likely a top fifteen team that returns like all of their starters. So this is it's certainly not a uh, a slam dunk for Kansas to win that game. Kansas plays Nichols to open the season. Yeah, that was the one. I, I just I, their name wasn't coming to me, but it was Nichols State. Yep. I think that's just technically Nichols now. I think they rebranded. Don't that's, call them State. That's bad. That's dumb. Nichols just doesn't like they're just Nichols University that isn't okay Nichols I mean they, football. They, they can do what they want yeah I just googled it it's the official site of Nichols Athletics well I mean the we're Colonels. I mean the entire world is going to know whether or not they're Nichols or Nichols State when they when they likely embarrass Kansas in, in in November because Kansas is like I said a loser program with a loser head coach and a loser mentality <laughs> All right, let's move on to Oklahoma's final regular season contest. November 23rd, it's a Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, in Morgantown against West Virginia. Obviously, Will Greer is back, which makes West Virginia immediately interesting. Mentioned Will Greer a bit in the opening take about, uh, you know, it'd be, he'd be a nice flyer for a, a future Heisman winner. Uh, four of five offensive linemen are back for West Virginia, including, of course, wide receiver David Sills, who was very good last year. Uh, the offense looks like it should be good. However, the defense allowed more than six yards per play last year. Five starters are back on that side of the ball. Uh, the defense, and I think you might have alluded to this uh, in a, a previous podcast recently, Grant, the defense for West Virginia could be atrocious which certainly limits their ceiling. And, and we've been saying this at the end of the discussion. I'll just jump to it right now. For a team that has a quarterback like Will Greer coming back, who could very well be, again, the best quarterback in the Big 12, depending on you know who, who knows what Kyler Murray looks like. Kyler Murray could be the best, and you know maybe some other random guy jumps out. Probably not, though. Uh, Will Greer, with all of his, his experience, his talent, he could be the best quarterback in the country, yet West Virginia's over-under is only seven games. So that probably tells you something that their defense is supposed to be very bad. Their their schedule is brutal too. They got a brutal schedule. So um, 
I just, I just want to go over this schedule. So they actually they open on the road Lee, at Tennessee, um, which, you know. And this isn't your granddad's Tennessee. This is actually maybe a competitive Tennessee this team is, this now is, that this Butch is, Jones is gone. This is possibly a well-coached Tennessee team, which, you know, <laughs> and, you know they, they got to go to Neyland, and that's not easy. So that could be interesting. Um, you, Youngstown State week two, that's no big deal. And then they got to go to NC State in week three. And, you know, that's that's – they're, that's not a pushover program. Um, you know, you know, got Kansas State and then at Texas Tech. Uh, they have to go to Texas and to Oklahoma State. Uh, yeah, I mean, their 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 schedule's not easily and and like you said, I, I, their defense is going to be atrocious. Like it's it's going to be a defense where I pretty much anyone is going to be able to run the ball on them, which is why I mean I, I don't even know how much Will Greer is going to be on the field this year. I do want to correct you. The opening game against Tennessee is a neutral site game. They're playing in Charlotte. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. So they're uh, not going to so probably it's not probably York. still probably still going to be a a Tennessee uh, a pro Tennessee crowd. Yeah, I mean, we'll see if West Virginia can uh, can travel. Didn't they play at that in Charlotte last year to start the season? Whoever they played against, start of the year against. Um, gosh, it was uh, Va Tech. I think that was also in Charlotte too. I think they played at Bank of America Stadium. No, they, that, really that one was at. Uh, that one was where the Redskins play. Okay, yeah. Okay, yep. Good call. So another neutral site opening game. Uh, interesting game. You know, it's it's definitely going to be interesting with, uh, is it Jeremy Pruitt? Jeremy, Jeremy? Pruitt, yeah. You the know, new head coach, Tennessee. Yep. And so, Lee, I thought, um, you know, at, at the end of this past season, you know, I, I thought just the conventional wisdom, and I it was something that I agreed with also, that, you know, West Virginia was – was was the obvious number two behind Oklahoma, you know, coming into the 2018 season. Uh, the more I look at it, the more I I just I I've, I've been convinced completely otherwise. I I I've, I'm almost more convinced that Oklahoma State is more of a threat than than West Virginia, and I'm being serious. Or I'm sorry, Iowa State. Oh come on, I, I, oh, okay. Iowa State more more of a threat than West Virginia. I, I think West Virginia is going to have the worst defense in the conference. Uh, the last thing I'll say about West Virginia is this game is obviously incredibly far away. So all I can say right now is hopefully this game actually matters once Oklahoma gets to Morgantown. And I don't mean, hey, OU could play for the Big 12 title you know, if they win, something like that. I mean, hey, Oklahoma needs to keep winning so the Sooners can continue to make a push for the playoff. That's, that's kind of the one thing to keep in mind because this is not – this is not an easy final game of the year at Morgantown. I mean, Oklahoma on a Friday night on a Friday night. Yeah. I mean, who knows what the weather's going to be like? It was brutal a couple of years ago whenever, Oh, you just housed uh, West Virginia in 2016 and uh, in the snow, but uh, you know, who knows? I mean, this is interesting. I I know you're not very high on them, but depending on how West Virginia does, if the defense is actually better than we think, I mean, Oklahoma may, may not be favored in this one, depending on the scenario. It depends. I mean, we'll see. West Virginia is going to be able to score points and move the ball, you know, very well. They're going to have a top five offense in the country this upcoming year. Um, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying Will Greer is the best quarterback in the country, but he's certainly up there in terms of returning quarterbacks. Uh, he's certainly in the top five. Uh, certainly in the in the discussion. Um, you know, I, I just they're they're replacing pretty much their entire defensive line. They're kind of trying to plug it with with JUCO transfers. I this is I, I mean. They're they're gonna give up over over two hundred yards rushing per game. I just it, I I really think I really think this West Virginia team is gonna be similar to that first West Virginia team in the Big Twelve that only went six and six with Geno Smith and Tavon Austin. Uh, just a, a lot of explosiveness and firepower and offense, but just an atrocious defense. I think that's that's what we're looking at this year. 
So that's it. That's the final six games of Oklahoma's schedule. It's uh, the middle of June. Grant and I have gone through each opponent Oklahoma plays. If you missed last week's episode, go back and listen to the first six games. Man, I don't know if there's going to be if at this point in the summer, Grant. I'm not sure if there's been that much information on each Oklahoma opponent out there yet. I think we just uh, gave the West of Everest uh, audience little meat and potatoes the last two weeks. And I'm I'm pretty proud of us for doing that. Pat I agree. myself on the back. I agree. And, you know, just to tell everyone here, I mean, this is it, it, looking at the schedule as a whole, uh, for a team that has national title aspirations and a team that, that wants to compete for a national title, this is a very, very manageable schedule. Very, very manageable. There is, there, there's, and I, I, you know, I hate going back to the S and P stuff. Um, S and P favors uh, Oklahoma by at least six and a half points in every single game in the preseason. Uh, at TCU is the one exception. That's the only one where they're not favored by double digits. Um, I, this is a very manageable schedule. There's uh, on the preseason slate, there is not one elite team that they have to play next season um, yet that we know of. We're going to learn a lot about this Oklahoma team in September with those five games. I mean, right off the bat, we're going to learn a lot because I, I'm with you. I think Fort Atlantic is going to be a really good football team this year. Uh, they're going to figure their quarterback situation out at some point. Hopefully it's not week one. Hopefully their quarterback is kind of, you know, whatever. Uh, that's going to be a good team, though. And then you got UCLA, Iowa State, Army, and then Baylor all in September. We're going to learn a lot about Oklahoma. And then the back half of the year, it's, yeah, I'm looking at it, it's, you know, take advantage of all the home games. Put it that way. Take advantage of having seven home games. That's big time. Yeah, and and don't don't lay an egg at home. It's going to just be very important. Yeah. That, which you know they did last year, and they, it was not cool if you all remember it. And now they they have they have back to back early kickoffs at home to start the year. Well, hopefully, since the year is it's just brand new, the year starting, they're still, they'll be super excited no matter what time the game kicks off. You know, and I hate that. Won't happen. I'm I, I'm so like. The last 11 a.m. kickoff that I remember on opening daily was TCU in 2005 when they lost. Oh, man. I, I don't think they've had one since then. I think this is the first one since then. Um, so, I don't know. Bad omen? I don't know. We'll see. Or, I mean, does it mean anything? Of course not. It doesn't. But, <laughs> and the, you know, and, and the human mind will look at anything to to form any sort of trend or prediction. So, so there you go. I'm I'm, maybe I've just talked myself into being scared of FAU, but... I think you already did. You did last week, yeah. and, and you're going to talk yourself even more into it in the next couple of months. Hey, just um, just just mentally preparing myself for uh, for what possibly could happen. All right. Well, we did nearly an hour on the final six games of the year. Let's move on now to the listener question from Facebook. This is going to be from Sydney, and I love the beginning of Sydney's note. Here it is. Sydney says, "I had a chance to talk to Shane Beamer for a while." And he has me very excited about the upcoming season. He told me that while his title doesn't suggest it, he will still be very involved with special teams. What kind of an impact can we expect him to have with Oklahoma's special teams? Now, Sydney also asked about best and worst case scenarios for Oklahoma this year. And Sydney also asked about Buki and his potential impact. We'll save those topics for a later date. So I want to say thank you to Sydney for providing us with that question and, and that content. Um, also, Sydney, I got to say, super cool that you got a chance to talk to Shane Beamer. That's awesome. I'm still actually waiting for my first chance to talk with him because the couple of times that he was available to the media this past spring, I uh, I was off or I, I wasn't there in Norman, unfortunately. So 
Um, anyways, Beamer uh, should be a very vital part of this staff. Grant and I, we both think it's a good hire. We talked about him extensively when he was announced as a, a new coach in Oklahoma back in February or January, whenever that was. Grant, I'll open up the floor to you. What kind of impact are you expecting from Beamer? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to touch on on one thing that you know, you said that we're going to get to it at a later date, uh, just because I, I'm working on something. Uh, so this is for Sydney. I, I'm working on something here, uh, Sydney, about past Mike Stoops defenses and if if kind of if there's a certain type of player that makes his defenses go. And I, I think there is some evidence suggests that Mike Stoops' defense are, are really good when he has a safety that he really trusts. And so I'm thinking of guys like Roy Williams and Brandon Everidge and the like. Uh, Nick Harris would be another one. He, I guess he wasn't there when, when Mike Stoops was there. Um, and so that and that and that you know that that involves Buki as well. So the the thesis sort of being that Buki might kind of be the key. His uh, the way that he's able to be multiple um, and everything that his skill set might kind of be the key to unlock Mike Stoops' brain and, and, and how he, he coaches defense. So I am working on that. And so just expect that at some point in time this summer. So anywho, about Shane Beamer. Yeah, I, I mean, this is, I, I'm excited. I it, it seems for the last decade, special teams legitimately have just not been part of this program. Uh, all they do is just fair catches and uh, fair catches and, and, and kneeling in the end zone and and I'll just not not very effective kickoff returns um so I'm I I was really excited that his hire just signaled uh something that says hey yeah we do care about special teams and and we're we're addressing it right now that's that's what Shane Beamer's hire was always about um and I like it and you can just see going to the Rose Bowl um you know special teams set the tone for the rest of that game kind of the beginning of the second half and also with that uh, the botched the botched kick at the end of the first half special teams are are never important until they are of the utmost importance and they're it they typically lose you games and it's annoying that way and they're they're important so i'm um i i think to be a, a national title contending team you have to be outstanding in every facet of the game ou is outstanding in one facet of the game last year and they still almost got to the national championship game uh so i'm Anything that's going to make them a more well-rounded team, I am pumped about. Um, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of kickoff shenanigans this year because of the of the new NCAA rules. But um, I don't know. I, I certainly hope we we start going after kicks because that that's one thing that drives me insane. Sydney mentioned that uh, Beamer said his title doesn't suggest it, but he will actually have some uh, a lot of a lot of influence in special teams. Just for the record, uh, Beamer's official title is he's an assistant head coach for offense tight ends and H-backs so uh, but we kind of knew this going in and you and I discussed his uh, special teams all likelihood role earlier uh, now you mentioned the kickoff new new kickoff rules and that's the main thing I want to talk about because we have not touched on that on the show that news came out in April I can't remember if it was when we were still doing shows or if we had just uh, gone off and our during our art during our hiatus but in case you haven't heard uh Big time new kickoff rules. I mean, big deal, I think. And the new rule is essentially the team receiving the kickoff, they're allowed to call for a fair catch anywhere inside the 25-yard line, and that will count as a touchback. So you could call for a fair catch at the 10-yard line, and it gets brought out to the 25 as a touchback. I mean, that's a massive rule change, in my opinion, Grant, because you think back to – 
the Rose Bowl. And in that second half, Georgia's kickoff coverage pinned Oklahoma deep inside the 20 and 25 a few times. And that changed a lot of that game, uh, gave a lot of momentum to Georgia. And this is one of the main positives I thought Oklahoma was getting when they brought Beamer on. And now that this is going to be not really part of the game anymore, you know, unless you can you can get a kicker that is so accurate where they can kind of drop a kick off into no man's lands where a, a player can't catch it, but then you have to make sure it doesn't go out of bounds though too because that's a penalty. This is some this is a big time rule change and I'm afraid that that this rule change takes away from some of the uh, the the importance of getting a Shane Beamer when it comes to special teams. Yeah, maybe. I I, I think I think we have to see uh, evidence of you know what's happening on the field with it. I just I I don't know how it's going to affect it yet. I think um, I I tend to think that it might sort of suit. It might be a, be a pseudo elimination of the kickoff from the game, um, but I, I'm not sure if it's going to go that way yet. Um, that mm-hmm. you know they. They still do return kicks in the in the NFL. If you guys remember a few years ago when they changed the rules, everyone assumed that there would be no no more you know kick returns, and there's certainly a lot less, but they still do happen. Um, you know, I, I I'm okay with this. I I like the rule. I've um, I I just and it's probably just because you know Oklahoma has just been so divorced from special teams for such a long time. Uh, that when I first heard it in my in my mind, I was thinking, "Oh, great! Special teams are being de-emphasized." Um, so <laughs> interesting, yeah. but but we'll see. I, I from a from a football standpoint, special teams are are things that like just kind of scrappy good teams use to their advantage. And it was one of those things that I was that I was hoping that Oklahoma was was trending in that direction. I'm not sure that this rule is going to eliminate that, but I, I think without without more evidence, it certainly seems like it could. So I. I'm going to take a wait and see approach on this one. Um, I, I'm very happy to hear Sydney that uh, Coach Beamer said that, that he will be very involved with special teams. It said that to you. I mean, he, he kind of said that a little bit too uh, previously, and so did Lincoln Riley. Uh, last thing on this, I want to go back to whenever Beamer had his first availability, and a couple of quotes stood out to me that I really liked at the time, and and revisiting them now, I like them even more. And Beamer said at the time. He said, quote, my philosophy is you've got to be attacking and it all starts with the head coach. If the head coach isn't involved and doesn't place an emphasis on special teams, it's going to be tough to have good special teams. You've got to attack and you've got to play your best players. And that's what we did at Georgia. He went on to say, you've got to make it fun. Bring a lot of energy to the meeting room and the practice field. Thankfully, Kirby Smart was very involved in special teams with me and the players saw the importance of it because of the importance that Kirby Smart put on it. And it sounds like Lincoln Riley is going to be very similar to Kirby Smart where he's going to he's going to just say, hey, special teams are very important. Let's put our best players out there. Let's go do this. Yeah, and that as you mentioned, like the special teams recently for Oklahoma over the years has not been very aggressive and has been pretty much absent. Yeah, that that comment that Beamer made, Lee, that does not happen in a vacuum. Uh, he made that comment because him and Lincoln Riley have talked about that. Um, so you're right. That is that uh, that sounds very good. I, I'm I'm feeling really good about that now because you know that's you you don't say that you know in, unless unless it's in the back of your mind. So that those are obviously conversations that he and Lincoln Riley have had, and that's just that. I mean, there's just there's there's just no there's just nothing bad that I can take from that. I'm I'm pretty excited. God, I'm just I'm just now I'm talking to myself. I'm getting jacked up again. 
<laughs> you go from getting super pessimistic about Florida Atlantic, but now you're getting jacked up about Oklahoma special teams. Well, you know, in the past, it's like it's 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 crap like that that you know that would get them beat by a team like Florida Atlantic. Stupid special teams mistakes and crap like that. So I, I'm I'm excited that that's going to get cleaned up. You know, the early Bob Stoops days, he was so aggressive with special teams, and then he got scared away by it, and it just it pissed me off. So it's I'm sorry you're 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 always going to be at your best when you're aggressive in football. Always, especially if you have the better players, and I, I just, I, I just want to see a return to to just extreme aggressiveness because it's fun. It's the right way to play the game. All right, let's move on now to the hot take of the week segment. We had to punt this segment last week, unfortunately. Just a, uh, just to kind of give you a heads up, we had Bamani Jones talking Kyler Murray as one of the hot takes. Now that's pretty old, so we're not going to run it. Uh, we also had Joel Klatt and Chris Carter from, uh, let's see, that uh, First Things First, the show with Chris Carter and Nick Wright. Uh, anyways, it was Joel Klatt and Chris Carter praising Baker Mayfield. And then to counteract that, we were going to have Colin Cowherd uh, doing the exact opposite and saying some negative things about Mayfield. Uh, we don't have Klatt and or Carter on the show today, but we do have Colin Cowherd because, well, he's our favorite, of course. And really, he's the main guy in the national media with Baker Mayfield's skepticism right now, which is it's fine. It's fine. You know, he's he has history on his side. Let's put it that way. Simply as far as it goes with, uh, you know, quarterbacks of Baker Mayfield's stature. Anyways, uh, we also have a take from NFL reporter Albert Breer and Breer's take actually comes from Cowherd's show. And this was a take that he had last week. Uh, but first up, we have Colin on Baker Mayfield. And this is part of uh, Cowherd's Where Colin Was Right, Where Colin Was Wrong segment on his show, on, uh, on, on his Monday show. And uh, Cowherd uses uh, this take saying uh, that he was right about Mayfield not starting right of way, uh, right away. Take a listen. Never said Baker Mayfield was a bust, but I said, come on, he's six feet, marginally athletic with baggage. He ain't a number one pick. He's not going to wow anybody with his arm, with his size, with his speed. Well, what do you know? Tyrod Taylor beat him out. The Browns have come out. Todd Haley, the offensive coordinator, saying, oh, yeah, Tyrod Taylor is clearly the best quarterback on this team. For the record, we said when he got drafted, Tyrod Taylor would beat him out because Tyrod Taylor's better than Baker Mayfield right now. And frankly, I actually think Baker Mayfield's ceiling is not that much higher than Tyrod Taylor. That's always been my thing about Baker. I think Baker, Baker Mayfield, uh, I, 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 I wouldn't draft him because of his baggage. He's an NFL quarterback. The difference is he's Case Keenum. He's Tyrod Taylor. He's not Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, who a lot of people used as the comps, and those people don't know what they're talking about. So that's Colin Cowherd on uh, Monday of this week talking about Baker Mayfield. And uh, it comes on the heels of last week, offensive coordinator for the Browns, Todd Haley. Uh, let's see if I can bring up those those uh, quotes again. Todd Haley said, quote, Mayfield has a long way to go. I would say it's clear that Tyrod is the leader of this team. So not saying Tyrod Taylor is the starting quarterback, but basically it, that's what he's saying. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is the number one guy. Mayfield's behind him at this point. You know, Colin, he made it sound like uh, – you know, it's kind of a done deal that Tyrod Taylor's the guy, no question. Uh, my first thoughts on this take, Grant, is it's interesting that um, he had to go with, you know, this is he's right about predicting that Tyrod Taylor would, would win the job because, I mean, we've known since the draft that 
Tyrod Taylor is a starting quarterback. Hugh Jackson has been uh, adamant about that ever since draft day. So it's no surprise that Todd Haley can, says that Tyrod Taylor is the clear leader of this team. So this is kind of like a cop-out where Colin was right because uh, really there's nothing to be right about. This was kind of already decided like a month and a half ago. And also it was mini-camp. No one's uh, starters aren't being decided in mini camp. He haven't even gone through, you know, team practice yet. The competition hasn't even started yet. Right. Anyway, it's kind of a, an early thing. Yeah, but it's like, it, what yeah. if? But it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I see what he's doing. I mean, he's he's got a he's got a three hour radio show that he does by himself, and he's he needs he needs stuff to say. Um, I do want to say so he he did his whole so I, I'm reading his ne- never said Baker Mayfield was a bust, but I've said come on, he's six feet, marginally athletic with baggage. Okay, that is his go to line for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I've yeah. heard him say five ten, five eleven, and now six feet because people <laughs> keep calling him out on it because he keeps getting it wrong. Um, and I'm sorry, marginally athletic. He tested more athletic than Sam Darnold, who is his, uh, who is his wonder boy. Um, and he says he's with baggage. Sure. I mean, I guess if, uh, if, if you still want to call the, the, the Arkansas thing baggage, I, I guess if you want, uh, he's, he's been a model citizen his entire life, except for that, that one instance in Arkansas. And I suppose the stupid Kansas thing, which we briefly touched on earlier in this podcast, but Hey, you know, I, he's Colin Coward is is more than you know. He's more than allowed to have his opinion. I totally disagree that he's more Case Keenum and Tyrod Taylor. Um, him saying that the people who are comparing him to Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. I mean, I've seen actual NFL scouts do that, and so if he thinks they don't know what they're talking about, I mean, that's that's his problem, I guess. Yeah, that's the last part I wanted to touch on is just the the dismissive attitude of. He's not Russell Wilson and Drew Brees, who a lot of people use as the comps, and those people don't know what they're talking about. I, it's a bit too early to make that such a such a strong stance to take such a strong stance on that because, I mean, if you look at Russell Wilson and Drew Brees in college, I mean Baker Mayfield was way better than both of those guys. I mean, uh, with the exception of Russell Wilson's final year, and we I bro- I broke down Russell Wilson and, and Baker Mayfield's final years. Uh, in college, uh, many podcasts ago, uh, Wilson had a great final year at Wisconsin, numbers-wise, but uh, he wasn't asked to do nearly as much as Baker Mayfield was in the final year, and as uh, in the entirety of a career, I mean, Mayfield was was better. I mean, and I, to be fair, I haven't looked back at Drew Brees' numbers, but I can't imagine Drew Brees had numbers better than Mayfield. Mayfield had has some of the best numbers of all time, uh, quarterback-wise. So uh, it's kind of a bit early to just say, those people that are comparing him to those don't know what they're talking about. I think it's more fair to compare him to Drew Brees than Wilson because you've made this point many times and other people have. Sure, Russell Wilson's much more athletic than Baker Mayfield. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but I really think that that whole he's much more athletic and that's the reason why Russell Wilson's so good. I think that's being overhyped a bit because I think Russell Wilson, yes, he's athletic, but a big reason why Russell Wilson is so good is because he's so smart and he's a good throw over the football. Yeah, he can get away from sacks and whatnot, but he's not really a guy that runs a lot. I mean, he uses that. Yes, he uses his athleticism from time to time, but he doesn't use it in any, any way that Baker Mayfield doesn't use his athleticism. Uh, so uh, I, I think Russell Wilson, it's not because he's super athletic. It's because he's a really good quarterback. And that's why Baker Mayfield, he's a really good quarterback because he understands the position. So I just I mean, there's sure. I mean, there's just there's just so much nuance that is completely missing here. And I mean, it's hard to do that when, of course, you just have a little 30 second hit on your radio show. I get it. The comparisons to Russell Wilson were always to their stature, 
always. Right, yeah. And Baker Mayfield is taller than Russell Wilson by like uh, one-tenth of an inch. The in terms oh no, of, he's like tall. He's like taller by like a, an inch or two. Oh, like is he? Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, Russell great. Wilson's like yes. five ten, like five okay. ten or five eleven, and Baker Mayfield's six foot yes. five eights. It was always the comparison to Russell Wilson's stature and his ability of throwing the football was always compared to Drew Brees, which is a which which is something I've literally been saying for two and a half years. I've been comparing the two. Um, so I, I I think I think the Drew Brees and Baker Mayfield comparison when they are in the pocket is pretty much spot on. I, I mean, it's about as close as you can get. I think in terms of comparing one player to the other. Um, so that's my opinion. If you know, I'm Colin Coward has his opinion. I think he's wrong. He, he thinks I'm wrong. Best thing is we're gonna find out who's right. I I'm and and I, and, I, and you and I think we're probably right, and he thinks he's definitely right. But we'll see. So before we move on to Albert Breer's take, I just saw this before the show started. Uh, there was a tweet by Evan Silva, who works for Roto World, I think. And uh, it was a quote talking about uh, Baker Mayfield. But he has since deleted his tweet. Evan Silva has now. I'm, I'm looking it up again. Uh, but the reason why this tweet became uh, noticed by me is because Colin Cowherd retweeted it because it was something along the lines of Baker Mayfield was not or is not ready, I guess, to really compete with Tyrod Taylor for the, the starting quarterback job. And I'll have to look more into that story because I haven't read it yet. But anyways, so Coward retweeted that with a comment of his own saying, marginal size and athleticism isn't a number one pick in any draft in any sport. The reason I bring that up is I'm not sure if you've seen this yet, Grant. Baker Mayfield uh, replied to Colin Coward uh, in the last couple hours. This is on uh, June 19th on Tuesday saying, well, it happened, bud. Have a nice day. So Baker Mayfield is uh, is very aware of Colin Cowherd's thoughts on him. And uh, I, I saw Mayfield's tweet and uh, retweeted it and said, um, I was a bit worried the massive chip on Mayfield's shoulder would shrink a bit after being selected number one overall. However, Colin Cowherd is making sure that doesn't happen. So it's I'm I'm happy that there's somebody out there like Colin Cowherd that's very skeptical of Baker Mayfield because to be to be fair, and we're fair here. Again, history is on his side. Baker Mayfield will have to be pro- will have to prove to be the exception, not the rule, as far as successful quarterbacks go in the NFL. That's what I think Coward's banking on. He's banking on uh, historically short quarterbacks like this aren't difference makers, aren't like Pro Bowl type guys. You know, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees—they're the exception. So that's kind of the what he's going for. And again, you and I don't don't think he's correct. We think that. Baker Mayfield has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, because he's probably the best quarterback to ever play college football at this point. He's he's best best player I've ever seen in college football ever. So you know I we'll see. I I, I think he's I think he's got what it takes. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's you, you never know until he actually puts on the pads and, and plays against NFL guys, and that's always the case with these college guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll find out. I, I, I think he's got. I think he's got the skills. I think he has the um, the mentality to get it done. I'm so excited for this upcoming NFL season. Holy crap! Thoughts on uh, Mayfield tweeting at Cowherd? Hate it. Do not like that at all. He should. He should. He should get off Twitter completely. <laughs> yeah, I don't love it either. Uh, considering that he hasn't won the job and. Yeah, that's I mean, if those reports are true that he still has a long ways to go, which of course he does. He's been he's been there for two months, if that not even two months. Of course, he got a long way to go. Uh, But yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't love it either. But that's kind of Baker Mayfield. He'll 
he will always get the benefit of the doubt until he starts to fail, which he has not really failed at all at the high at the high levels. So as long as he's cocky like this, he will always be given the benefit of the doubt until he starts to 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 feel some pushback. He starts to throw interceptions, not complete passes, lose games. Uh, that's when he'll start to get some flack for being as cocky as he is. But until that happens, it, he's been cocky and it's it's worked out for him. That's part of his brand. On to Albert Breer's comments, uh, and this is on Colin Cowherd's show. Uh, Cowherd talked to Breer last Friday. Uh, Breer, a veteran NFL reporter for the MMQB. Uh, this interview with Albert Breer came after the news that Todd Haley said that Taylor is the leader at quarterback for the Browns. So uh, it's essentially the same talking point, same thing that Cowherd was basing his take on. Uh, Cowherd asked Breer if he reads or if he's reading anything into Haley's quotes. Uh, Breer initially said, no, I just think they're trying to keep Mayfield humble. Breer continued, quote, they're just establishing to the team that they're in a win now spot. And after saying all of that, Breer went on to say this. I wouldn't rule out Baker Mayfield winning the job. This is just sort of the stuff that you have to say right now. Baker's got time to catch up. And, and, and one other thing here, Colin, let's remember, this is the same kid who started in a Big 12 school as a true freshman walk-on. That is borderline impossible to do. Like, like in the quarterback position, to start as a walk-on in a major conference school is completely unheard of. And so, you know, Baker can say all the right things, too, about how he's okay being the backup and everything else. You can't tell me that that, that kid doesn't think that over the next three months he's going to find a way to win the job. So two uh, completely different perspectives on Baker Mayfield. You have Cowherd, who uh, who thinks, uh, you know, he's it's Tyra Taylor's job, and, and it's, you know, maybe eventually it'll be Mayfield's, but it's obviously Taylor's now. And then you have Albert Breer, who says, hey, I mean, don't rule him out for the starting job. And and I think that's going a little too far. I really do think no matter what happens, Tyrod Taylor will be the starting quarterback because Hugh Jackson, again, has been so adamant about that. I just I have a hard, hard time seeing him going back on that. Uh, but, I mean, the point about the uh, you know Mayfield's past, about how he was a walk-on starting as a true freshman at a major, major conference school – pretty interesting and um after uh, he said that i didn't have it in the in the soundbite but cowherd said oh yeah that is pretty interesting so i mean it seems like cowherd gets information from certain people he respects like you know i'm sure he likes albert breer of course joel clatt uh other people and they say positive things about mayfield and and you know that kind of that that kind of chips away i think at, at uh, cowherd's take on mayfield but until he's proven otherwise he's going to stay the course and there's no question about that yeah and i haven't seen a better uh a better example of that from it was kind of right or when um, it was it was right like a couple months leading up to the draft when he had Greg Cosell on Greg Cosell is is Colin Cowherd's favorite guest and it's like not even close um, and 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 Cosell was was pretty high on Mayfield and you could you could tell you could you could hear you know in Cowherd's voice that he was kind of surprised about that um, so that, that that's a good example of that so but go back to Albert Breer's uh, Breer's comments Lee. And that that was kind of my first thought when I saw the Haley thing too. I was like, ah, I mean, they're just saying that. Um, but I mean, obviously, I I can't read anybody's mind. I don't know exactly what's going on there. But but what Albert Breer said is absolutely correct. He there is no doubt in my mind that Baker Mayfield thinks he's going to win that job. Just no doubt in my mind. Right. Uh, right. So uh, I mean, that, and he's and I know he's he, he's going to put the work in to win it too. 
So um, you said you don't think there's anything that could happen, you know, to make Mayfield the starter. I disagree with that. I mean, he could pretty easy way. He could, he could, I mean, he could, he could prove over the course of weeks or months or an entire training camp that he's a lot better than Tyrod Taylor. That would be a way to win the job. I thought Um, you were going to say Tyrod Taylor could get injured. (laughs) Well, I mean that too, that too, but um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, he'd have to be, it'd have to be like a Dak Prescott's rookie year in, in, in preseason ball where, where Dak Prescott was just lighting it up after Tony Romo got hurt. And everyone was like, ah, whatever, it's preseason, who cares? And then he came out and Dak Prescott was was still really good. It had to be like where Mayfield was looking like Prescott did in the preseason where he was just, I mean, man, this guy is really good. I mean, just completing almost every pass, throwing touchdown passes, and, and Taylor just kind of looks fine. Yeah, and, you know, if you remember about the Dak thing too, Lee, I mean, that nobody knew anything about Dak until he started playing well in those preseason games, and nobody cared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that stuff can, and, I mean, can, you're can sneak tell up that. on you. They're not going to tell me Dak Prescott coming out of college is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield coming no, out of college. it's not even remotely close. <laughs> but but Dak, you know, there's I, it, it might have been spot. a flash in the pan thing. Yeah, Great I offensive mean, was... line. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not sure. I mean, that's this is a whole other thing, and I'll just say real quick. I mean, Cowboys fans are excited about Dak, and, and I know a lot of Cowboys fans are not big fans of Tony Romo. I mean, that hurts you all uh, for Cowboys fans because Tony Romo was really good, and his career pretty much got cut short, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to retire. I'm good. Like, I mean, Tony Romo had probably four or five more years left, I bet. But again, I mean, his not, back not was with his issue. health, not with his health. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's why he stepped away. But I mean, man, I mean, you tell me like, Tony Romo would have been probably better than Dak Prescott that year with with how good they were with Ezekiel Elliott his first year. And just anyway, that's a sidebar. But um, man, I was actually kind of disappointed because I like watching Tony Romo play football and his career just out of nowhere got cut short. He was done. Uh, I, I agree, so. but I also, you know, that year that he got hurt and, you know, Dak's rookie year, I mean, that was that was an interesting story season. That was that that was a good story. Dak playing so well, I thought that was a and I, I, I thought they were a fun team to watch that year. But I mean, who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm not. <laughs> okay. I, I, I did start an Oklahoma football podcast to talk about Dak freaking Prescott. <laughs> uh, all right. Anything uh, anything else? that you want to you want to bring up before not we really only that i'm just i'm really freaking excited for some ou football and in, in a couple months just really oh, excited uh, yeah so am i but uh, and we haven't mentioned this yet on the show and it kind of goes along with our mayfield hot takes uh hard knocks grant is like less than two months away i mean is this this i have never looked forward to hard knocks more i mean this is going to be incredible i cannot wait for hard knocks i mean it's Everything about it. Like, I always love Hard Knocks either way because it's this unofficial start to the football season. You're like, okay, this is great. Like, we're watching this. is Football is here. This is so awesome. It's, they do such a great job of it. And now we get the Browns and Baker Mayfield trying to win the quarterback, the starting quarterback job. Unbelievable. It's, Unbelievable. yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's must-see television. Absolute must-see television. <sighs> I think it's like August 6th or 7th, the first day. Uh, first usually is. Episode. Yeah, it's usually the, the first uh, first week of August, I think, or the second week of August. I can't remember. It's early August. Always early August. All right. Great show. That's it for today. Grant and I will be back next week. And uh, you have uh, didn't you have an idea of something that you want to do next week? Or, or oh like yeah, I want to talk up, about a, a, I, about Kyler Murray related, maybe. Yeah, you know, Kyler. I, I want. I really want to talk about what you and I expect the offense to look like in 2018. Just kind of a, a general free flowing discussion. I don't want to. I, I don't want us to talk too much about it before we get onto this podcast because I want us to have a good kind of free flowing combo about it. All right, we'll, we'll do that next week then. Might as well. 
Awesome. Uh, also, we can revisit Sydney's Facebook post and answer some other questions uh, that Sydney had regarding Oklahoma's outlook for 2018. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.